Good morning, everybody. Everybody having a, a good start to your week so far as we worship God in spirit and truth? And there should be some amens, there should be hallelujahs, right? We're worshiping God in spirit and truth. We're gathered together with our fellow saints uh, to, to worship God, to remember uh, what Jesus Christ had done for me. I want to thank uh, Pat for his table talk here this morning and reminding us, you know, all that Jesus had done, reminding us uh, why we're here in the first place. You know, a lot of people think we're here because of the sermon. A lot of people think we're here for different reasons. But the crux of why we worship God is because of the Lord's Supper. We gather together on the first day to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. That's why we're here. And that's why we don't like to rush through the Lord's Supper. We like our, our, our men who stand before you to really put some thought into it. To, to, to really uh, contemplate all that Jesus had done. Uh, the words that have been spoken. The prophecies that we know about. And so I want to thank Pat for his uh, talk here this morning. But I also want to just kind of thank the visitors who are here with us today because each and every time we have visitors with us, we're so happy to have you al alongside us. If there's any questions that you have about why we do what we do here, maybe it's different than maybe uh, somewhere you worshiped before, uh, let us uh, answer any questions that you may have at the conclusion of the services. We'd love to be able to do that. You can get with myself or one of our elders. We'd love to speak with you. Today's lesson, if you look on the screen behind me, it says... Spiritual starvation. Why do you think we're going to be talking about spiritual starvation? What do you think I actually mean about spiritual starvation? You know, in John chapter 6, Jesus, he started to teach a pretty deep spiritual truth after doing something, well, basic. And I say basic in the sense that, yes, he had the miracle. He fed the, he felt, he fed the multitudes with a, with a few loaves and a few fish, right? But immediately following the feeding uh, and taking care of the physical needs of the disciples and all those who were here to hear what Jesus had to say, he begins to teach a spiritual truth. And this spiritual truth was on something basic. And that something basic was the idea of hunger. You know, we've all hungered at one time or another, have we not? I don't care if you're rich, if you're middle class, or you're poor. We've all hungered at one time or another. We've all went at you know, lengths of time, whether it's because of work or because of hobbies or uh, because of the busyness of life. We've all went longer than we probably should have without a little sustenance, right? And all of a sudden, as you start to get hungry, what starts to happen? Well, things start to happen. Things start to happen in our bodies. Things start to happen in our minds. We know that the human body needs food in order to survive, in order to thrive, if you will. And when we have gone hungry for a certain amount of time, what do we start to see? Does your stomach start to grumble a little bit? You know, it's, you're, you're sitting there in that business meeting, and all of a sudden, you know, you're like, oh, did somebody else hear that? You know, you, you know, you're looking around, you're thinking that, right? And so your stomach starts to growl. Maybe uh, you start your, your 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 mood changes. Have you ever had Have you ever had your hum, your husband become hangry? Right? They're hangry because they're hungry, and their moods change because their sugar's probably dropping, and they need some food, and they're starting to get a little angry. And so maybe your muscles begin to uh, become a little weaker. Maybe your blood sugars are dropping. Maybe headache starts to set in, right? We know when we've gone a little too long without a little, uh, without a little physical food to help sustain our lives, right? What's the one thing that we could do in order to, uh, to remedy said situation? You eat, right? This is not something that's going to blow your mind here this morning. 
But I also want us to consider that something uh, similar happens with spiritual hunger. With spiritual, well, starvation, if you will. I'm here to tell you that in our nation here today, we have spiritual starvation. It, we've, we've went beyond spiritual hungry, uh, spiritual hunger. We got people in this nation, we got leaders in this nation who have spiritual starvation, right? And you kind of know that the symptoms of spiritual hunger are similar to those of physical hunger. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, you know, when you're physically hungry, your stomach, you know, starts to make those little noises, right? It starts to growl. It starts to make the little bubbly noises that people hear that are sitting next to you. And you say, well, it's been a minute since I've ate. But when you're spiritually hungry, when you're spiritually starving, something different happens in your stomach. Your stomach starts to get a little twisted. You start to get like those knots in your stomach. You start to get that uneasiness in your stomach. And why does that happen? Well, maybe it's the guilt of sin. Maybe it's the guilt from our consciences, right? Have you ever been driving down the road, going 65 and a 45, and all of a sudden, woo, the little lights turn on behind you? What's usually the first symptom? Your stomach drops. Why? Because you know you're in trouble. Similar things happen, brethren, when we think about spiritual starvation. When we think about how uh, sin in our lives causes us uh, causes us through our conscience and through our guilt, through our mind, it causes some problems with our stomachs oftentimes. It, it causes our moods to start to begin to change. The highs and the lows, they're, 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 they, they change rapidly. Why? Because of matters of the conscience, because of guilt that is in our lives. Headaches that are normal headaches when you're really physically hungry start to become what? They start to become migraines because of what stress does in your life. Your, your immune system becomes weaker because of the stress in your life. Sickness seems to come on quicker. And so, brethren, when you look at spiritual hunger and you look at physical hunger, there are similar things, similar side effects that you can look to. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, and verse 32 and 33, we see that Jesus, he begins to speak to the, to the multitudes after he feeds them. He begins to speak to them about spiritual bread. The true bread that comes down from heaven. And brethren, as human beings, we need both spiritual food as well as physical food. Well, why do we need spiritual food? Well, because when God created us, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, He created us both physically as well as spiritually. He created us as physical beings made out of matter, but then He put His spirits within us. And we know that he created us as spiritual beings and that we need spiritual food every bit as much as physical food to make sure that we live on and that we thrive. And so if you look at the first passage of scripture on the screen behind me, it comes from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 6 and verse 32 through 35, I want you to see what it says here. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then Jesus had said to them, or they had said to Jesus, Lord, always give us this kind of bread. Right? Hey, we appreciate the physical bread, but we, we would prefer another healthy dose of this kind of bread. Give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, you want this bread? He says, I am this bread. 
Jesus, this is the very first of the seven I am statements that we see here in, in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Brother, brothers and sisters, that's why if you go back and you look at uh, our Sunday morning classes that we started a couple weeks ago, we're getting back to the foundational basics of Christianity. We're looking at the foundational pillars of Christianity. We looked at, uh, we're, we're having our memory verses. And so I didn't get a chance to talk this morning because uh, Brother Alex was uh, giving us an update on the Bibles to China. We know that Romans 10 and 17 was your first memory verse. Hebrews chapter 11 is the verse from last week, chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. Because all those who come to him must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so if you haven't memorized your verse, well, maybe you get an extra week, but you're going to have to add Romans 16, 16. Right? Because that's this week's memory verse that you didn't get to hear from me in class this morning. You don't get to skip out on it. So this week's memory verse for our adults is Romans 16 and 16. And so, brethren, we need to have to make sure that we continue to look at these. Because notice what we see uh, there in that passage of Scripture behind me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. But what does it say? He who believes in me will never thirst. And so, brethren, we see how important it is to internalize the word of God. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it kind of makes me think about John chapter 8 and verse 24, which will actually be the verse after Romans 16. So you're seeing how I'm starting to add some of these memory verses into my sermon. So that way we're kind of hopefully through repetition, we're going to start to commit these to memory. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus tells us, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Brethren, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is telling us, and if you go on in chapter 6 and you get to around verse 57 or so, and Jesus starts to say that you need to eat my flesh, you need to drink my blood. Remember when he was trying to separate the sheep from the goat, so to speak? He was trying to separate those who were really following him, had, had true intentions. And so he said that hard saying, knowing that it was going to cause people to walk away. He even goes on to tell his disciples, do you not want to leave? And Peter says, well, where will we go? You have the words of life, of eternal life. And so, brethren, we know that Jesus is the bread of life and that we eat his flesh, not literally, but when we accept Jesus, when we believe on Jesus, when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives and we clothe ourselves with Jesus and baptism, we live faithfully unto his, mor unto his moral standings, unto all that he commands us, we know it's as if we are eating of the bread of life. And so it's a spiritual thing, brothers and sisters. Have you guys ever noticed that there's a song that our children love to sing, and that song is called Jesus Loves Me? If you were to go around and you were to ask all the little kids in the room or at a vacation Bible school, what's one of your favorite kids' songs? You know what one of the, one of the songs they're usually going to say? Jesus Loves Me. That's going to be one of the songs that they'll talk about. But somehow, as we grow older, somehow as, we, as the struggles of life really begin to set in, what happens? Life starts to pull us in different directions, and, 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 and worldliness starts to tug at us. 
and, and influences start to come our way, negative influences that are going to impact our faith. And if we're not cognizant of it, we're going to uh, see ourselves stumbling over sin. We're going, to, we're going to start to stumble over the blocks, the stumbling blocks that have been set before us. And we slowly forgot to, we slowly start to forget that, yes, Jesus, in fact, loves us. And so the kids that grew up singing, Jesus loves me, the kids who grew up eating from the bread of life, who've been baptized and clothed themselves with Christ, all of a sudden they start to begin to forget that, yes, Jesus does in fact love me, that I have value, that I have worth, and that I am a child of God, and that I have purpose. Brothers and sisters, it's kind of like casting crowns. If any of you guys listen to K-Love, there's a group called Casting Crowns, and they have a song that's called Slow Fade. Slow Fade's one of my favorite songs. I'm just going to read to you. I ain't going to sing it because you guys know why, but I'm going to just read you some of the lyrics. Why do you got to laugh for? That's rude. But I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics. In Casting Crowns, Slow Fade, it says this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's not talking about the children. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's that second glance that ties your hands as darkness begins to pull the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never usually crumble in a day. It's usually a slow fade. And so I mention that, brethren, because as we think of that song from Casting Crowns called Slow Fade here this morning, I want you to compare that to what we are seeing, what we are experiencing in, in American society right now. What we're, what we're experiencing in our communities, to, in the here and now. Brothers and sisters, we live in some crazy times where people who grew up singing, Jesus loves me, who understood the value and the worth and the purpose they had in Christ Jesus, are now living covetous lives, are now committing crimes, are now committing adultery, are now committing suicide, and the list could go on and on and on. Some people are living every day, brethren, where every day seems to be worse than the previous day. Well, why is that? Because these individuals have forgotten that Jesus loves them. Brethren, their very lives have become difficult because they have allowed worldliness. They've allowed worldly thinking to overtake Jesus' teachings. They've allowed the, world, the various worldly ideologies to overtake God's moral standards that they used to know to be right for their very lives. Why? Because they've fallen away. They've, they've, they've forgotten the, the reason why they became Christians in the first place. What does it say on the front of the table, the Lord's table? What does it say? Do this in remembrance of me. Why do you think it was important that Jesus said, every time you come together, do this in remembrance of me? Because he knew the propensity of, of, of people is to forget. Forget why we do what we do in the first place. And to, to get so busy in life and to get so wrapped up in everything that's going on around you in the political realms and the sports realms and our hobbies and our lives of our children and our marriages and our careers that all of a sudden we forget 
to do this in remembrance of Jesus. We forget to do all that God would have required of us. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to write those words down, Jesus loves me. We need to put them on the refrigerator. Why? Because every time you go in there to get something to eat, every time you want a snack, you can hopefully see the words, Jesus loves me. And, and hopefully that's going to cause you to remember why, who you are. To remember who you are. To remember whose you are. You need to take those words and you need to put them on the front door of your house. Or whatever door it is that you walk in and out as you come and go. Why? So you'll remember that Jesus loves you. Brothers and sisters, you have value, you have worth, you have purpose. But you only have those things if you remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? When we stop and look back at the nation of Israel, and we think about the Old Testament, we find that God had Moses as well as other inspired writers make a record of what? Make a record of God's law. To make a record of God's love that he has for his people. Despite our treacherous ways. Despite our sinful ways. Despite our disobedience. Brethren, God loves you. And he has made a way for man to redeem himself. God had put together a plan of salvation for all mankind. Even while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to do what? He sent his son to die for you. To die for me. To die for mankind. In order to give us an opportunity at salvation. Brothers and sisters, the Bible records God's love for us. Despite mankind turning our collective backs on God over and over and over throughout the millenniums. And so brethren, I have chosen this lesson this week because it seems that our nation has forgotten that we, our nation had begun with Christian principles. Not that we always lived by those Christian principles, but it was founded on Christian principles. Just like many of us today understand the moral standards of God, doesn't mean we actually live according to the moral standards, but we understand that our faith is founded upon those standards. Our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And so, brothers and sisters, it seems to me that our nation has gone so far astray that we have forgotten that God loves us. And it's as the song said earlier, it has been a slow fade, a slow fade over generation by generation, where black and white, what used to be black and white, has turned to gray. And the slow fade has affected every one of our communities around this great, once God-fearing country. We're homes, brethren, and it all has, be, uh, has begun in the, in the degradation of the home. Because the home is not what it used to be in this country. The Bible doesn't hold the same weight in the home as it once had in, in decades gone by and generations gone by. But don't worry, this isn't all a negative lesson. I'm here to tell you, brethren, that you need to understand that God has made a way. He gives answers to the problems. We just have to be willing to eat of the bread of life. We need to be willing to accept Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus says, unless you're willing to eat my flesh, and unless you're willing to drink my blood, you have no part in me. That's what John 8 and 24 said. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so, brethren, we know that if we open our Bibles, if we just open up our Bibles and we study to show ourselves approved, it will teach us that all that we need to know about how to live godly lives. It will teach us how to set our priorities. 
It will teach us how to raise our children, how to be uh, respectful husbands and wives, how to do all that God has required of us. It teaches us how to repent and ask for forgiveness. It teaches us the plan of salvation, along with just a myriad of other wonderful uh, life lessons that we could glean from the very Word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, the Bible also teaches us, though, what we should expect if we turn our backs on God. And so, as a nation, brethren, God has given us the ultimate survival guide. If you were to take an expedition to, uh, into the wilderness of Alaska, and I know I've used this before, and I, I like this illustration, because as somebody who loves, uh, who likes hunting, likes uh, just watching these Alaskan shows and things like that, that I watch regularly, if you were to go to Alaska, you would, I would hope you would look into some survival guide techniques. I would hope that you would look into a few things before you've gone. Because if all you've ever done is hunt around here, and now you go to Alaska, there's lots of things that could kill you. It's the, it's the, the animals, the weather, the terrain, and, and many other things, right? And so if you're not prepared, there's, there's a good chance you're not going to have a positive outcome. And so we need to be ready. And so if you were to go off to a, a, an expedition out into the deep wildernesses in Alaska, brethren, you need to know some survival techniques. And there are many things, brethren, that you would have to know to survive, just like there's many things that we need to know to survive, spiritually speaking. And so when I say the lesson is on spiritual starvation, as Christians, God has given us the ultimate spiritual survival guide. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, God tells us that we are not to be fearful. We are not to be fearful because it goes back to what is biblical faith. Biblical faith is a, is, is a three-part process. And it starts with belief, and then it goes to trust. You have to trust in the promises of God. And if you really trust in the promises of God, what must you fear? Did Stephen fear uh, in uh, Acts chapter 7 when he spoke out uh, when he spoke out so beautifully and yet boldly uh, in, in the history lesson that he had given, he wasn't afraid of what the Jews were going to do to him. Why? Because he trusted fully in the promises of God. He trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that if he resurrected, that I too will resurrect in the right day and in the right time. And so, brethren, we are to not be fearful as we learn in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are to expect persecution as we learn about in Matthew chapter 5, we are to, uh, God tells us how we are to abide in his love. He tells us how we are to keep his commandments in John chapter 15. Brothers and sisters, God, the, the, since, since God has given us a spiritual survival guide, I wonder how many of us read it on a regular basis. I wonder how many times we read it so often that these commands these survival guide principles, if you will, are woven into our daily lives, are woven into our minds. Because we all talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2. I know here we talk about it often because it's such a crucial part of Scripture where it tells us that we have to transform our hearts. We have to transform our minds. With what? With the Word of God so that way we can prove what is, which is, what is good, which is acceptable, which is perfect. Brothers and sisters, Listen to this passage of scripture on, uh, that, that you see on the screen behind me that Dom read this morning. Notice what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then, uh, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Brethren, this was written a very long time ago. Several thousand years ago. Do you think it still applies today? Because if you notice the wording, it says, if my people who are called by my name, sure, it was written as one of the, uh, as Second Chronicles is one of the, the letters or the books of the Old Testament on the history of the Old Testament, but we also know that that applies today because the Jews, the Israelites, are no longer God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. Acts chapter 11 and 26, it says, in Antioch, they were first called Christians. And so America would, be, America would do well to remember what, what was said in the, in the historical chronicles of chapter 7 and verse 14. That if my people will turn away from their wicked ways, if they will pray, I will hear them. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. America would do well to remember that passage of scripture. Brothers and sisters, as, as fellow uh, saints in the kingdom, are we not called to be the salt and the light of the world? Salt keeps food from what? It keeps food from spoiling, but it also adds flavor, does it not? And Christians, we're supposed to really perform both of these duties or both of these tasks for mankind. A little more salt, and meaning true followers of God, it would have done what? It would have, it would have caused uh, the preservation of Sodom and Gomorrah, would it not? You remember back in Genesis chapter 18, in uh, Genesis chapter 17 and 18, when God was talking with Abraham, he says, should I tell him what I'm about to do? And then he goes on to tell him what he's going to do, and then Abraham starts to bargain with him a little bit. Well, what about 50? What about 40? What about 30? And then he gets all the way down to 10. And God says, if there's 10 righteous, God-fearing individuals, I will not destroy them on the account of the 10. Well, you know the rest of the story, my brethren. And so I want us to really think of it this way. If we as a nation continue to turn away from God, and if we as a nation continue to turn away from his moral standings, just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the people of Israel, and their destruction came much later in AD 70, how can we then expect the protection and the blessings of a holy and righteous God? We will be cut off as a people from God, from his protection, and from his blessings. And I know that many of us in this room say, but Dave, we're not part of what you see in the world. Are you telling me that 100% of all Israelites were all sinful, horrible people? There wasn't a few righteous individuals? No, of course there was. But there, the number of those who were uh, sin-laden, who walked in darkness, far outnumbered those who were good, and the good got caught up in the persecution. And I'm here to tell you, brethren, as a nation, if we continue down this path, if we're not talking to our friends and neighbors about what sin is, about what uh, salvation is, about what Jesus has done for mankind, and what his death, burial, and resurrection means for us, then we may end up in a situation like Sodom and Gomorrah. We may end up in a situation like Israel when they were wiped from the face of the map in AD 70. Don't think because we're uh, surrounded by the, the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans that it can't happen. And it's brothers and sisters, this isn't to be pessimistic. This is to be realistic. It's to look out into our nation, to watch the news, 
to see what's going on in our public school systems and to really ask ourselves, what can we do to make a difference? Brethren, it's, about, it's on our shoulders to be the salt in the light of the earth. And as we think about being the salt in the light of the earth, I want us to think about that story for one more moment. If you were to fast forward Sodom and Gomorrah into modern day times here in the 21st century, I wonder if we had 10 righteous individuals who would be able to save Lincoln Park from destruction. I would hope so. I'm pretty sure Abraham, when he got down to 10, was thinking, whew, we just, uh, warded, we just, we just uh, warded off a, 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 a catastrophe there. I bet you he didn't think they couldn't find 10 out of, that, out of those villages. I wonder if we would have 10 that would be able, that are doing exactly as God has called us to do to stop the destruction of Lincoln Park. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, the scriptures tell us, and then Jesus had uh, again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who, walk, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. That means sin. He who follows me will not openly walk in sin, but will have the light of life. Brethren, how can we entertain ourselves with the tools of the devil, with worldliness, and then call ourselves children of light? For as Christians, we are, we are of, of, of most people to be those who stand up on, uh, for God and his moral principles. We need to be the type of individuals who are not worried about what somebody else is going to call us, are not worried about persecution, but be individuals who are willing to stand up for God and up for his moral standards. We know, brethren, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16, the scriptures tell us, You are the light of the world. A city, cannot be set, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand so he can give light to all who could see. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, how can we claim to be walking in the light when many people can't tell the difference between those of the world and those who claim Christianity? Brethren, I've often said that we have to be cognizant of the fact of how we live our lives. Because if you live openly in sin, you bring shame upon the Lord, you bring shame upon the church, and you call other people to call us hypocrites and say, I want nothing to do with your faith. Because I see how many of you who walk around calling yourselves Christians conduct yourselves. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul had to say to the people of Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, he tells us, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. Where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Can you apply Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15 to today? Do we walk amongst a crooked and perverse generation? All you got to do is just listen to some of the podcasts, watch some of the local news, listen to the politicians, see what's going on in our communities, and you quickly realize we are walking in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But as lights to the world, brethren, we have an opportunity to teach people about Jesus. Teach them about the love of God. Teach them about the plan of salvation. Teach them about the, the value, the worth, and the purpose that they have in the eyes of, of a holy and righteous God. Brothers and sisters, never forget that bad company will corrupt good morals. God's plan, it starts with humility. 
When we think about God's plan of salvation, when we think about the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, it begins with a humble spirit. It begins with humility. Be humble enough to admit when you're wrong. Be humble enough to, to make the changes that you need to make. Be humble enough to seek out help. For humility is not part of the vast majority of the Christian or of the American society. Think about all the people that are out there. Think about all the people uh, that are worldly. I wonder how many of them you would uh, describe as humble. I wonder how much you would think of them as uh, those who are display humility. Brothers and sisters, I'm going I'm to close this down a little bit early. I know it was a longer lesson, and I got more to say, but I'm just going to shut it down early, and we'll talk about this in another lesson another day. But brethren, to admit wrong or to accept responsibility for, our, for one's actions is something that we do not see as often as we should in our communities, in our society, and in this country. Brethren, it is time for Christians to stand up for God and his survival, his survival guide principles that we find in the, in the pages of Holy Writ. Because we have the power to save America from spiritual starvation. We don't have to go down. We don't have to be people who, who are starved spiritually. But it's going to take every one of us doing our part to go out into the world and to take the message of God, to preach the gospel, preach the good news, give people hope, let them know that there's a better way. And brethren, I'm telling you right now, even though we live in some crazy times, even though we live uh, in, in, in a country where it's, we're getting further and further away from God, there are still people who are searching. There are still people who are seeking. There are still people who want to know about your Jesus. And they want to know about what the plan of salvation is. They want to know about forgiveness of sins. They want to know about how they can spend eternity in paradise alongside a loving and holy and righteous God. But it's going to take us being convicted in our faith to go out and to be, not be worried about what people are going to say, not be worried about what people are going to think, but to go out and take the good news to anyone and everybody, anyone and everyone who will hear it. So brothers and sisters, I leave you with this. Saving America and saving mankind begins and ends with the bread of life. Amen? In Revelation 22, 12 and 13, it's not on the screen behind me. I've added this later. And Jesus tells us, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is going to be with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. So brothers and sisters, to take the bread of life to all your family and friends, we need to do so before it's everlasting too late. For no one will enter the kingdom of heaven except through Christ. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And the only way to get to Jesus... And the only way to do it is to eat of the bread of life. For Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one will come unto the Father except through me. If you come to me and you eat of the bread of life, you will never hunger. If you come to me and you believe, you will never thirst. And so if you're here this morning and you're hearing this message, I wonder how long you've been hearing these messages or maybe how long you've been pondering Christianity, salvation, Jesus, the seed line, and everything else that goes into it, but you still haven't given your life to Christ. What is holding you back? God could come back this afternoon. He could come back as, as, as quickly as, as we leave this building. 
Because the bottom line is we don't know when he's going to return. He's going to come like a thief in the night. That means that we have to make sure that we're ready. We have to make sure that we're prepared. You, if you're here today and you're not a child of God, you have an opportunity to go down into the watery grave of baptism, to come up out of that water with your sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. If that is your desire this morning... Come forward as Lewis stands and sings the song of invitation.